And welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And John, that might have been your most excitable intro you've done yet. I really felt the energy there. Oh, I'm glad, because it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Like <laughs> I, I um we we were just discussing off air. Like I'm, a, you know, I'm I'm past I'm past my Jesus year now. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I've turned thirty four, so uh, I'm officially old. Like it's thirty oh, four. I long for the halcyon days of thirty four. <laughs> when the when the sound of your bones creaking didn't hurt your ears. Like, <laughs> um, no, I feel I feel venerable now. Uh, I but um. If anything, like I, because well, I mean, the, the our wonderful listeners won't know this, but um, I slacked off the last time we would have been recording an episode, uh, and because it feels like uh, eons since you and I last sat down, um, I don't know. I felt I had to compensate. I had to bring a bit more energy to the table. It's it has been. Uh, uh, we managed to get a buffer up, so it's been four weeks for us. But you guys won't even notice the gap. Mm. It's it's the those those weird things that happen when you're uh, you're recording ahead of time. We don't do this live. It's not no, you, God, you no, press no. play and we suddenly have to sit down in a room and go through the whole <laughs> thing again each and every time. That would be weird. Yeah, no, I mean uh even when you rewind, you know, we we have to like, you know, go back to that point and just kind of pick up with whatever nonsense and mistakes we were making <laughs> at the time. So yeah, it's forever the past for us and it's forever no, wait, no, it's forever the past for us and forever the future for you. And we never exactly meet in the middle. Does that make sense? Um, sort of. We're recording moments in our past that you've yet no that you've yet to listen to. It. Yeah. No. No. Yet. <laughs> yeah. No. Wait. No, okay. It's, yeah. It's we're recording the past for them, but it's the future for us that they're listening uh, to us in the past. PJ, this is as confusing as Final Crisis. What's oh going on? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's get some context for the listeners. We, we're recording this on Sunday, the twenty third of August, the weekend of the DC Fandom. So that's that's where we are in in our time. Yes. So to ensure that we are forever culturally relevant and right, you know, right there with our finger on the pulse of society, PJ, as a man of the world. A, ma- a learned man, uh, a respect, a respected and respectful man. What on earth is a DC fandom? I mean, it's 
it's a thing. It's it's a thing that happened yesterday, and I think they're just replaying it today. Basically, it is DC skipped the virtual San Diego Comic Con that happened a few weeks ago, so they could okay. do their own online virtual convention. So they did a load of online panels, um, only two of which seemed to have anything to do with comics. Uh, one okay. was the announcement of the Milestone comics coming back, which is great news. I bloody love Static Shock. Uh, and the other one was the announcement of a new Batman miniseries. I can't remember who the creators are, uh, but I believe it'll be featuring a new version of Batman, um, a black Batman, I believe. is is It's is, is getting good buzz, apparently. But the rest of right, it... Okay. The rest of it was all panels about films. Um, yes. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I thought that the uh, the Suicide Squad reveal, I was all for that. That was great fun. I really enjoyed the trailer for Wonder Woman 84. That looks bright and colorful and, and, again, a lot of fun. And I quite liked the trailer for The Batman. I think if you're going to do a dark, gritty Batman detective story, it looks like they've done a good job of that. I'm I I'm just going to say right out now. Uh, I have not seen any of. I haven't watched any of the trailers. Uh, I'd almost um, rather not, to be honest. Like, um, uh, say like like um, uh, Robert Robert Pattinson Pat Pattinson Pattinson. R Pats. R Pats. Yeah. Like um, when they announced he was playing the Batman. Um, obviously, people. You know, I think it's quite easy to dismiss him and yeah. just go like, "Oh, he's a bit of a pretty boy." But I actually was like, "Yeah, no, I reckon he'll do it. I reckon he'll do a very good job." I've got, I've got nothing against the man. He's a very good actor. I think if you've only seen him in Twilight, then that is a fair reaction. But he has done so much better and more interesting things since Twilight uh, that make me think he's a pretty good choice. And actually, the trailer, yeah, I think he's going to be good. I've got to say, I um, this is very much off topic, but I really want to see Tenet. Me too. Uh, was, uh, to the point where I didn't think I'd ever go back to a cinema <laughs> or the Petri dish, as I like to call it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I might actually, I'm very tempted to actually go to a cinema to watch a film, which is something I think my granddad did back in the 40s. Like, it, it seems so long ago that we were actually allowed out. Oh, one of those moving pictures on the big screen. Yes. For the, um, you know, normally I just sit at home with a daguerreotype and... Uh, <laughs> you know uh scare at my portrait of the queen um but but yeah so why why the why the fan dome because it made me think of some kind of like thunder dome i just guessing but I'm, i i believe it's a play on fandom I, mm, yes i see uh was there a dome in any possible capacity no no just all virtual you know um something else did come out that i believe is is as a JLA podcast is is relevant to us, unfortunately. Oh, the, the, the Zoriel movie. Oh God, do I wish? <laughs> no, it's um. I watched the the full trailer for the Snyder cut of Justice League, and mm. I am gonna set my stall out here. It looks fucking awful. <laughs> I I haven't watched the trailer. I I. I could not really comment at this point, um, but it's not really going to be a movie, is it? It's going to be it, uh, multiple movies, a series. It, it is and it isn't. So it's going to be available to watch in two different ways. One of them is one four-hour movie. Nobody needs that. That's ridiculous. And the other is they're going to cut it down and have it as as four separate episodes of an hour long, like a mini event series thing. But it just nothing about it fills me with enthusiasm at all did, did you actually see did you see the 
the the version of Justice League that made it to the cinema. I did. I watched it. Uh, I didn't go to the cinema to watch it because I just couldn't bring myself to. <laughs> but I watched it on um, Amazon Prime one one evening. Um, yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. Mm. And this just looks to me like the same film but longer, with a really, really badly done version of Darkseid. Yeah, I I must admit I've seen that still image. I it's so strange, isn't it? Like I I I I must admit I'm not personally the biggest fan or I'm trying to be as kind of <laughs> trying to be as even-handed as possible here. I'm, <laughs> I I I'm not really the biggest fan of 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 Zack Snyder's particular way of telling stories if 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 I'm honest. And yeah. um now at the same time I can I can fully appreciate that if due to uh you know terrible 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 and tra- tragic events you're no longer able to finish the movie he was working on yes I, I i can imagine that it must feel very strange to have someone else come in and kind of completely rejig your creation and i, I think it puts everyone in a very very awkward position because i don't think josh joss whedon was given a particularly easy job either the history is as i understand it now i don't like Zack snyder's other dc movies i think man of steel has some wonderful moments in it but overall it's fundamentally misunderstands superman and then batman versus superman double downs on that by fundamentally misunderstanding batman as well um i think they've got great casts i think Zack snyder has a great eye i think visually he is a very good director but he cannot tell a story He's really poor on that front. Um, yeah, he is the tragic circumstances. He left during the reshoots, I believe, of Justice League. Mm. But I think it was also the response to Batman versus Superman was such that DC or Warner Brothers, rather, sort of got cold feet. It's one of the reasons they brought in Joss Whedon as his replacement and effectively said to Joss Whedon, lighten it up. Can you change yeah. it? Make it different. It's almost like try and do, you know, try and do um, bring some of that Avengers exactly to it but it didn't work at all it's so and the thing is their styles are so inherently different like i i get why the studio would think that would would help but at best it's going to create a complete tonal mishmash you'd imagine like trying to joss whedonify (laughs) um something which so in so you know really wasn't really yeah Um, and you had all these... Snyder did have an assembly cut of the film. You know, but the, yeah. people who know movies know that's a very, very early rough cut before you've edited anything out. It's just putting everything in sequence, and that ran to five hours long, uh, I believe. So that presumably then would have been cut down to something more like two and a half, three hours, reshoots, adding other things in. But of course, then that's not what happened. We got however long it is, two hours, I think, in total, max. Yeah. Um. But it strikes me now that with all the outcry saying we want the Snyder Cut because people don't understand what an assembly cut is and they think that is the Snyder Cut, you get this huge fan outcry from the side of fandom who a lot of them I'm uh, associate with the Comicsgate movement. Not all of them. There are people out there who genuinely just want to see it and that's fine. No, we'll but, it, it definitely, them, but it definitely became a, yeah. like a, a rallying cry in certain circles, didn't it? Which is a bit of a shame. And because it's the angriest voices that always shout the loudest, it, it felt like if you looked online, that's what people wanted. 
And I think that combined with the stories that have come out since about Joss Whedon's onset behavior during his time on Justice League, um, particularly from Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, uh, he do not. He's got some accusations there. Um, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think now DC are suddenly trying to distance themselves from Joss Whedon and putting the ball back in Snyder's court and hoping that this will mollify people. But it's not even... It's Zack Snyder. He's saying he wants to complete his vision. And yeah, I get that. That that does make sense. But what he's giving us isn't what he would have made had he not left the film. Well, no, of course not, because he's he's uh, he. I mean, we've we've all grown. Like, you know, what is it been two years, like three years, or what? Uh, yeah, it's, two or three. How could it be? Like, you know, it'd be impossible to, you know, kind of magically transport yourself back into that mindset and say, yeah, let's just pick up exactly where we left off. Of course, he's going to have new ideas, and I think, I think it's interesting you you brought up like the general misunderstanding of of what we mean by an assembly cut or a. Because, because you know, when people were saying like, "Oh, there was this, there must have been this magical version of the movie, which would have fixed all the problems with the Whedon version," you know, um, that the, this is where the root, the middle, the rumor mill yeah. skied around the Snyder cut. And there's a great video actually by um, a YouTube channel called Folding Ideas, mm. uh, and uh, the guy, the guy who does it, he he's actually a um, he is an editor, he or he's worked as an editor. And he was saying how um, it doesn't, it does and it doesn't exist. Yeah, this was like maybe like from a year or two ago before yeah. we knew this was coming out. And of course, as you were saying, he said when Zack Snyder said on Twitter, though, that it does exist because I completed it. He's probably referring to the assembly cut, as you, as you said, PJ. So basically like all the B-roll, yeah. all the everything they shot assembled in a rough chronological order probably with without finished special effects even definitely and he made the interesting kind of as a, as an economic point he said now that probably does still exist you could take all that footage and probably reassemble Zack Snyder's version of the movie but he said the problem is none of the special effects will be done and so who's going to pay for that and he's saying that like, is that now in his opinion the opinion of the, this guy doing the video, he said, now if Zack Snyder wanted to self-fund those special effects, he probably could. You know, he, he probably would be able to afford it himself. But he said, wouldn't it be interesting though if DC were launching like a streaming service or like an on-demand service and they needed something to kind of bring in new, new viewers? So that would be an incentive, a, a monetary incentive to find the money you need to complete the assembly cut and turn it actually into a movie. Now, is that kind? Is that kind of what's happening? Like, how how are you going to be able to watch the Snyder cut? Uh, that's pretty much exactly what's happening. Um, oh, it was prophetic. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so basically, yeah, they were doing. They're they're launching HBO Max in the states. Warner Brothers are, which is their streaming service, um, and. Justice League the Snyder Cut is supposed to be like the big I don't it's not I think HBO Max might have already launched so it's not a launch thing but it's like it's coming it's the killer app it's the reason you get HBO yeah. Max and they have put a lot of money in to the Snyder Cut to finish it to finish the effects and everything now they haven't done there's no reshoots and Snyder 
he wasn't as polite as this, but he said he's not using any of the footage Joss Whedon shot. This is my other issue with it. Snyder's behaviour online about this film has been... It's not been great. Um, someone commented about the trailer yesterday that they didn't like it, and Snyder basically retweeted them saying, well, you like cartoons, it's not for you, this is a grown-up film, you're clearly not in my demographic. And I'm like, mm, no, oh no, yeah. that's it, this is based on comics. It should be fun. Mm. It, it's the Justice League. Come on. I know. Um, and it, it, it is, yeah. It, yeah. And I I don't know. It's so... It's, it is just kind of sad in a way because the any drama around this will completely... Has already completely eclipsed the the product. I mean, what, what you're going to get at the end of it is, pretty, I'd imagine, pretty much exactly what you'd expect it to be. Yeah. And, you know, people are going to... People are going to love it, and and some people are going to hate it. To be honest, like it, it, and and then I think you know you, you might wonder was it was it worth <laughs> you know was it was it really worth the 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 years of kind of like um, the social media campaigning and and you know the anger it generated. Well, it's to kind it's, of get exactly what you wanted. It's cost an extra. I, I believe it's an extra twenty million they've put into this just to finish it. So it's not small change. And um, I just sort of, I feel like the people who are really, really pro the Snyder Cut, who have really been demanding it, are the same ones who say that if you say you don't like Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman, tell you you don't understand it. And just, they spend their time as well saying that if you like Marvel films, you're an idiot. And, and those real Snyder stands. Um no matter how bad it turns out to be, they have to at this point say they loved it, and that well, will continue. Yeah. Um, well, it's um, it's uh, it's something humans are notoriously bad at psychologically. But yeah, it's like it's throwing it's throwing good money after bad in every in every kind of sense. It's like it's like having a car you love, yeah, and it just keeps falling apart. And it's like you just keep spending more and more money to keep it going, and every year it just gets worse and worse and worse, and it costs more and more and more. But you don't want to get rid of a car because you've spent thousands of pounds on keeping it up and running. And you just go, well, it's only going to cost you more in the long run. It's like the smart thing is to cut your losses and move on. But as humans, we are very bad at that. Like it's something we struggle with. And hey, look, I'm going to watch it. I know this is going to happen. One, I am curious. I don't think I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm definitely curious to see what the finished product is actually going to be and how it compares to the other version. Um, and I'm fully prepared to, if I watch it and it turns out actually this is really good, I'm prepared to turn around and say, you know what, fair enough. It was great. Mm. I don't see that happening, but I'll give it I a do, go. I, I do I do worry that it, it, it does kind of speak to it, because I don't even know where, really where the DC cinematic universe, such as it is, even scans right now. Like I know they're, they're obviously making new movies, as evidenced by the fandom but i don't really know if any kind of greater sense of continuity is even is even really a, a thing now like I, I don't i don't know what would even happen if this snyder cut comes out will that suddenly revitalize like a second justice league movie i don't know i think they're they they're still saying it's one universe because they've, they've specifically said that the new batman film is not within the main dc universe oh my it, god um but of course they're also so you've got Wonder Woman 84, but they're also doing the Flash movie, which is Flashpoint. We know that is the Flashpoint storyline. Uh, isn't Grant Morrison involved in the script? 
Uh, I'm honestly not sure. I'd need to double check that. But I've heard rumours because the Flash movies had like four different scripts and three so many, different yeah. directors. Like it's a, oh God, what's going on there? But it does seem to be moving forward. They've released concept art, which shows a new costume as well. Which oh, please tell me better. it's not made of metal. It's a much better costume. It looks, I mean, it's it's concept art, so you don't know how it's going to turn out, but it looks more like the Flash costume. Um, mm. And of course, you've also got the announcements that there are going to be two different Batmans in it. Played by Ben yes. Affleck and Michael Keaton. Yes, no, you see, suddenly that gets me interested. Yes. Suddenly I'm like, because I, I think, let's be honest, like, regardless of which movies you, you love, whether you, you loved the Whedon version or you love the Snyder version, uh, I think we can all maybe agree on the fact that the general meta narrative is a bit is a bit of a lost cause now. Yes. So what better way to not fix it, but what better way to do whatever changes you need to do by doing multiple realities. Like, do Flashpoint, do the multiverse, like, bring back Christian Bale, Michael Keegson, Val Kilmer, you know, Ben Affleck, you know, what that would be amazing. It is, there is that, that, that part of you that says, you know, if your very first solo Flash movie has to be Flashpoint to reset and restart your universe, you know you've made big mistakes somewhere. Um, but at the same time, if they are going to do it, then bringing in Michael Keaton is a great way to get me on side. And so one of the concept pieces shows um, Ezra Miller's Flash running past Michael Keaton's Batman. And I got to admit, that did make me smile because I love Batman and Batman Returns. I think Keaton was brilliant. And to see him in that role again now is very exciting. Um. I mean, I'm going to say something controversial. I am not. I'm, I. I have no strong feelings. So this isn't like I hate. I hate the Tim Burton Batman's. I'm just. I'm just like okay with them. <laughs> I. I just go like, yeah, they're all right. You know, that's that's my that's John's controversial statement of the day. <laughs> I. I really like them. I think they're. They're not. People paint them out as as like this is the grim dark version, but no, it's not. That's no, that's, no. It's the gothic version. But there's a lot of lightness of touch in there and, and a lot of fun to be had with those movies. But I, I really like them. I, I'm a big fan. Well, I, 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 seeing, as we, seeing as we, you know, we are kind of talking about um, uh, the world today or as the world as it will have been a month ago by the time you listen to this, um, I, I just, I, I want to touch on the fact that like, um, regardless of the Snyder Cut or whatever, or whatever's going on in the DC, uh, DC company, how bizarre i find it that dc have just announced all these new movies or i guess rather warner brothers have yeah on the wake of dc comics actually laying off a ton of their staff yeah it's uh it's a weird one i know comics have been hit by the whole covid19 situation definitely um and that is a huge part of it but um it is it, I, I do feel like the, the DC movies and, and DC comics are almost completely independent of each other at this point. There's, there's, yeah, yeah, they're almost two separate companies, I guess. I know they do. They do share the same parent company, and I, I'm certainly not suggesting that it's as easy as moving money from one pot to another. That will suddenly save comics. It's just like it's a person. It's a real bugbear of mine because when when everyone likes to talk about how do I break into comics? Like, how do I, how do I get, live the dream? How do I make comics? And, and the, the answer is, well, making comics, you can, you can just 
do. Like it is, a, it is an expensive and time-consuming process. But mm. yeah, it, you can just make a comic. But it it does kind of bug me that it's always seen that the gold standard. Certainly, you know, I this is my opinion for the longest time. But like the gold standard was working for Marvel or DC. Yeah. Or you know, Image say you know that's that's kind of where where you go. And it seems as an industry, we're absolutely obsessed with um, trying to make trying to get like a monthly comic kind of publish like like jla which we're reading uh it's like that's the best we can aspire to and it just bugs me that the the economics of comics are such that marvel dc image the big players they lose money on floppies they move they they're losing money on monthly comics and they're becoming a loss leader for the movies yeah as in, like, as long as the comics exist, they can continue creating characters and storylines which can later be adapted into movies. And I don't really have a point here. <laughs> I don't really have, like, a, and this is my thesis. It just kind of, it really, the last couple of weeks have really just driven home to me how kind of economically busted comics are, or the traditional comics model. Because... The movies, you know, different wing of the company, different studios, whatever, but they're they're making a lot of money. Even yeah. the flops are making more money. And it and it, it just seems so strange to me that we're still all dreaming of and aspiring to publish a comic in a format which is only designed to lose money. It it just it just blows my mind. Yeah. I don't know how anyone gets a comic made, to be honest now. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think it's it's a sign of the times that Justice League, the, the cut we saw in cinemas, was seen as a flop just because it didn't hit a billion. I think yeah. it made 600-something million. That's a that's a huge movie. I know. Um, but yeah, because the comics are just, these days, it does feel more and more like they're just a gateway to the movies. They're just to get people to, Yeah. I don't know. It's why, it's why like, if, if, if I ever found a, if I ever had a young whippersnapper, PJ... Uh, if I ever had a young person of 29 come up to me and say, <laughs> how do I make comics? I'd say, work out how you sell comics. That would be the real trick. Oh, like, yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily about the talent. It's about the economics behind it, which is really boring. Nobody wants to hear that. But I, I'm like, anybody who's found a different way to make it work, I think they're the real success stories. Like people who have found their own ways of distributing, their own ways of selling direct to their fans. You know, Patreon or Kickstarter or direct mailings like we're seeing all these creators now these big name creators who have kind of like they're now a bit adrift because they've you know maybe DC has less work for them Marvel has less work for them and now they're all going oh maybe I should be self-publishing maybe I should be putting stuff on Kickstarter and it's just it's bizarre it's this topsy-turvy world we found ourselves in and I don't think the companies help themselves like I if DC They've laid off all these people. The comics aren't doing as well as they could be, maybe. But so put them in your fandom. Have some comic-related yeah. stuff in there. Don't just leave it at two panels. Have lots of panels about all the different. I mean, for God's sake, you've got the Justice League in your comics. These are some of the greatest characters of all time. They really are. They they really are. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like I I I obviously I enjoy Marvel. Obviously, we both love yeah. Marvel, the Avengers, X Men, but like. With the best will in the world, nobody had heard about the Avengers like a uh, fifteen years ago. Yeah, like I 
Maybe I had and you had, PJ. But let's be honest, the wider world did not give two shakes about Iron Man. Not at all. Like Superman, Batman, The Flash, Wonder Woman. These are... These are the greats. Like, these are some of the greatest characters ever in comics. And it's like, why can't why can't we sell that? Like, what's wrong? Like, it's bizarre. Uh, yep. Yes. Indeed. We well, <laughs> that was... Thank you for listening to uh, PJ and John moan about economics and the state of the comic book industry. And the our- Snyder Cut. And the Snyder Cut, our daily, our daily podcast from now until eternity. Um, PJ, should we, like all, all old men, should we retreat into nostalgia? Let's talk about more joyous times. Let's talk about a simpler time. Um, PJ, the, the, the year was uh, 1997, uh, August 1997, and a young John Locke had just turned 11. <laughs> <laughs> and a a comic was published uh issue 8 i believe of the jla now i want to start with the cover this uh this episode cuz i think this is a beautiful cover i love this image so much it yeah and kudos to you for remembering the covers cuz there are actually some beautiful ones in this particular book alone yeah um this is Howard Porter didn't draw this issue or the next one we're looking at. I, I assume, you know, monthly monthly uh, timescales on an artist they can be tough. It's difficult to be pumping out an issue every month, so it wasn't unusual at this sort of time for an artist to have a break of an uh, issue or two in the middle of the run. So the this issue and the next one are not drawn by Howard Porter. Uh, I believe it's Oscar Jimenez uh, draws them uh, both. Yes, yes, you're correct. But Porter still gave us two absolutely stunning covers. Uh, yeah, uh, we are looking through a keyhole and Connor... Connor Hall? Is that his correct name? Connor Hawk. Hawk, yes. Damn it, I, I thought Hawk and I, I chickened out. Uh, yeah, um, the, the new green arrow uh, is kind of facing us. It is, it is a beauty. And he's, he's crouched down above some steps, pointing, an, uh, pointing his bow and arrow through the keyhole out at us. While above him, strung up from some pipes, I guess. Pipes and pipes. electrical conduits from the ceiling are Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and The Flash. Um, yeah, and also, I guess, a nice change of pace to actually put Aquaman on the cover. Is this his first cover since the group shots no, I, in the first trade? Uh, he was he was on the cover a couple of issues ago, but kind of like a, a blinking, you miss it. Oh, of. yeah, he's, he's in Neuron's mouth. I should say, like, I really do love um, Howard Porter's uh, angry and or screaming face. <laughs> like, particularly at this point in his JLA career, he drew um, a very good set of teeth, yes. I always felt. Yes, he did. In, in fact, looking back on uh, the uh, covers uh, just from a couple of issues ago, when Neron uh, the Demon is drinking the JLA out of a cup of blood, like you do, uh, there is a wonderful little screaming electric blue Superman in in the waters, which uh, I'm a big fan of. Yes, it's a great little face on uh, on Superman there, screaming in terror. Um, but so um, should, I guess we should see exactly why our heroes are are, are so imperiled. Uh, that's that's what stories are about, of course. Um, PJ, where where do we begin in this um, story entitled <clears throat> Imaginary Stories? Ooh. 
Ooh, what could it mean? Well, we begin in a, a crystalline landscape with a red sun and a weird little lizard creature, and something's crashed. Uh, some kind of aircraft, it, it looks like. Um, and we sort of get closer in on, on, this, on this craft as we get some captions telling us, basically, that uh, a program has started to run. Uh, yes, and also that a neural bonding has been initiated. Ooh. Um, and we see a foot coming to shot uh, in front of the burning wreckage of the ship. And uh, there is a Green Lantern uh, dying at the helm of this vehicle. This specific Green Lantern, it's Tomar Ray. Now, were you familiar with Tomar Ray? Uh, vaguely. When I first read the book, I had read a couple of other... I hadn't read much Green Lantern, but I'd read other books that the core, the Green Lantern core, had appeared in. So I, I, I didn't know his name, but I knew to look at him that this was a Green Lantern I'd seen before. Well, here's a question for you, Pete. Oh, well, no, wait, no, no. I, I don't want to do any spoilers. I'll, I'll hold on to that thought. Um, uh, but yeah, the ring is. Uh, sorry, the ring. Honestly, say what you see, John. Uh, the, uh, he's dying. This poor Green Lantern is dying. Uh, he's coughing up blood because he's been badly injured in the crash. And uh, his ring begins to translate his alien language into something we can understand. And um, yeah, as we all know, when a Green Lantern dies, they have to pass on their ring. They have to find a successor. So he, he holds his ring out towards us, the reader, and, uh, and says that, that you must be my successor. The ring will explain everything. And he passes the ring to Kal-El of Krypton, the new Green Lantern of Space Sector 2813. What? And we see, um, we see Cal. We see Cal. We see. Well, you would have thought he'd be Superman, but no, he is wearing um, the traditional Kryptonian garb of like a kind of black skin-tight suit with like these funky kind of roughly bits of fabric going down his sleeves, and then a long kind of smock cape thing over the top. And unless I'm very much mistaken, PJ, is that the kind of had it become standard knowledge? in the DC universe at this point that that was Kryptonian fashion because uh, I think like John Byrne drew that sort of clothing yes he? it had um, there was a storyline in the Superman comics I think in the very early 90s um, that was collected under the banner of eradication uh, as in the origins of the eradicator where uh, Superman gets taken over by the eradicator device and basically becomes a more pure Kryptonian so effectively Kryptonians were supposed to be devoid of emotion they they suppressed them very logical creatures and um, Superman changed his outfit to traditional Kryptonian garb which looked a lot like this but for a few issues that's what he was wearing in the comics oh yeah no PJ I'm I'm, I'm so glad you're here because uh, I I have a, several questions for you uh, <laughs> is it because everything you said about Kryptonian culture there is it true that Kryptonians being a very like reserved society had a bit of an issue with like um, public intimacy or kind of like any physical contact. Which is that like the, re the rationale why they all wore kind of skin tight wongsies, so there'd be no kind of like flesh on flesh contact. Um, I I don't know if that's the reason they did, but certainly there was that public displays of affection were definitely frowned upon. Um, I think uh, Jor-El, that's one of the reasons uh, he was sort of seen. Jor-El and Lana, I think. Lara? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, they were sort of seen as outcasts a little bit because they were rebels, because they liked to, ooh, hold hands. 
well, the reason the reason this springs to mind, and I don't know if this is just something that Morrison kind of led with, or or um, whether this was just like accepted Kryptonian law in the DC offices. But um, I know in All Star Superman, when um, the two Kryptonian astronauts arrive on Earth, yes, um, Barrel and Lilo, I think are their names. I can't remember at all, but. Uh, well, I know that they at one point um Barrel is angry at, at Superman because he catches Lilo when she falls and he says something like, uh, get your naked hands off her because of course he doesn't wear gloves. And I, I always kind of read into that that, that was part of them having this obsession with with spandex, basically. I think it's something that's um sort of gone by the wayside a bit in recent years. I don't know if this is the case anymore, but certainly in the eighties and nineties that was the case for Kryptonians. They were very reserved people. Um, They're like super yeah. Vulcans, basically. No, it's weird. I was thinking of that comparison too, but they're not as emotionless as Vulcans. I guess it's, I guess it's more that they don't have any passion. They hmm. still sort of feel emotions, but they're they're subtler with it. They're you know, so they don't speak like robots like Vulcans tend to. But there, um, there's also no real sense of of passion there. I guess is the best way to, to say it. It's almost like they have they don't really have any reason to. It's like their society is almost, as they would see it, so kind of stable that nothing really matters as much. Yeah. I guess exactly. Well, PJ, I've got another question for you. Yeah. Um, because because again, you are just a font of knowledge. Um. This is obviously a different Green Lantern space sector to the one we normally hear about, the one that Earth is in. The yeah. one that Earth because Earth just causes nothing but trouble. So my question to you, PJ, is Krypton Krypton, to your knowledge, has it always been in space sector twenty eight thirteen? I have no idea. Oh, PJ, what <laughs> I'm are you sorry. Even, I'm very What well, are you even here for, PJ? It, it's blown up before most of the comics I read start. Oh, Who cares? Keep, good save, PJ. Yes, you're right. That is the perfect uh, perfect answer. Um, okay, PJ, two more questions for you. Is <laughs> is Tomar Ray is is this his region of space in regular continuity, to your knowledge? Yeah, why not? Why not? Great, of course. <laughs> you said it, PJ. And my final question to you is the ring that Tomar Ray holds out to Cal, it looks a lot like Kyle's ring. It does, yeah. Was that the accepted design of Green Lantern rings at the time, or was Kyle's ring particularly unusual in looking like that? Kyle's ring was unusual in looking like that. The other rings were the they were all before this the Hal Jordan style, so where you've got the ring but with a circle on it that then just has the Green Lantern symbol on it, not the this one which is shaped like the Green Lantern logo. And can I just say, I think just because Kyle was my lantern and this is how I was introduced to him. This is always my favourite ring design. Oh, yeah, basically. completely, 100% with you there. Awesome. Well, thank you, PJ, uh, for appearing on Mastermind. Uh, we look forward to having you back. Uh, I didn't do very well. <laughs> no. Um, but what, what happens from there, PJ? Where, what, what, where, where do we go? Uh, we get some credits. So written by Grant Morrison, penciled by Oscar Jimenez, inked by Chip Wallace, so not our normal inker either. Uh, and then colours by Pat Garrahy, computer seps by Heroic Age, letters by Ken Lopez. And edited by Ruben Diaz. And from those, which again, I, I don't think I'd noticed just how um, 
garish some of the uh, credit overlays were in this series. Uh, well, yeah, it's still that the imaginary stories title is still using that nineties computer graphic letters, and the yeah the the credits they were are just so that but proud. smaller. <laughs> they they just gotten Photoshop version zero point one. The year was nineteen ninety seven. They got it on a floppy disk, and they were so proud of the clip art <laughs> that came with it. Um. But yeah, so suddenly uh, we are deep beneath the water elsewhere. Another program's running. Another program is running. What does it mean? And we see Aquaman um, swimming, uh, trailing kind of cables behind him as he swims past a submerged Statue of Liberty. Can I just say, the fish in this panel are beautiful. These are some really well-drawn fish. I love them. They are some you know, you 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 pay for the JLA, you stay for the fish. That's amazing. Uh, but then Aquaman surfaces, and he's not wearing his usual costume. He's wearing, I guess, what can only really be described as an underwater camouflage suit. Oh, so, that is a charitable way of putting it. I had wondered why he was wearing this bizarre blue disco suit. So yeah, it's it's sort of it's it's patterned like a camouflage outfit, but all in shades of blue. Uh, but then it has a big yellow crown on the chest as well because he's the king uh well of course i mean and that's how uh, our royalty here in the in the in, in the united kingdom has always displayed their power by having a big gold crown on their chest on their skin tight suit. on their skin tight blue disco suit oh no there is. <laughs> that's an image um and now, PJ, I, I think there's a there's a glaring continuity error here, which makes me just want to throw this book across the room. Um, Aquaman breaks the surface of the, surface of the water and has a big gasp for air. He does, doesn't he? Why would Aquaman? Why would Aquaman need need air? That's what I want to know. I, it, maybe the water's very polluted. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, come back, book. All is forgiven. <laughs> Um, so we do then get a lovely shot at the bottom of the page with just the hand of the Statue of Liberty holding the torch coming out of the water as the sun sets behind it and a submerged New York City off in the distance as a boat approaches Aquaman and tells him to basically get on board before the Manta Raider patrols arrive. And before we have any time to process that, we are suddenly in the Bat Cave and another program is running and we are gazing upon uh, Batman's kind of like... Uh, hall of costumes which he always has kind of wonderfully propped up and uh, we're seeing what looks like a batman outfit empty and also a Catwoman outfit sort of em- sort of empty as well and we uh we have bruce wayne and selena kyle looking older uh bruce has a lovely mustache yeah, a kind of a very um, Commissioner Gordon esque kind of mustache. I, I would describe it more as a very Thomas Wayne mustache. Oh yes, well that would probably make a lot more sense. Um, and as you say, yeah, they're old. Like Bruce looks like he's in his fifties or sixties. I would say, yeah, a lot of gr- lot of grey around the temples. And um, yeah, basically, Selena is saying, you know, look, uh, you're, you're brooding, but you you can't you can't Bruce. You got to let it go. We're old. We've got to let a new generation carry the torch. And Bruce reveals that he's worried about the boys, whatever that must mean. Well, next panel, he tells <laughs> us uh, he's he and Tim have been training Bruce Junior since the day he was born. Now, Bruce Junior, I don't believe for a second that's what Bruce Wayne would call his son. 
No. No. Probably... Probably Thomas. I feel like the kid's name would be Thomas, Alfred, Clark, Wayne. Oh, yes, PJ. I'm I'm, I'm 100%. That is what he would name name the kid. No, I, 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 that is a very solid bet. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. Uh, uh, which maybe it's like, oh, that's unusual. Why, why would Bruce pick such an unusual name for his child? Hmm, maybe there's more to this scene than meets the eye. Um, but yeah, uh, we suddenly cut to a rooftop in Gotham where a Batman and a Robin stand watching their city as the bat signal plays across the clouds. Uh, Batman is Tim Drake here, so Robin grew up to be Batman, and then uh, Robin must be Bruce Jr. Yeah, uh, uh, a redhead Robin. Yeah, and I do quite like the, uh, the the change to the costumes. So the Batman suit's a bit more armoured with some metallic, sort of metallic breastplate and wrist gauntlets, and then a yellow, almost utility belt, but one that doesn't go all the way around. Yeah, it really uh, uh, kind of like uh, accentuates his hips, sort of. Yeah. And um, um, you don't get to see a lot of Robin's costume because he's crouched down, but um, it's a, it's sort of a variation as the Robin costumes do. They just sort of evolve yeah. slightly as they go along. Yeah, it's got it all, really. It's got the red, the green, the yellow, and the black. It's always a, it's always a busy costume on Robin, yeah. I would say. It uh, is. But yeah, and we get the famous line, Batman and Robin can never die. Which has been repeated time and time again throughout Morrison's work, I believe. That was a big point of his um, Batman R.I.P. Yes. Uh, storyline. And then Dick Grayson taking over as Batman, yeah. Oh, now I've got to say, I know, uh, PJ, I know, I think you've said before, you didn't 100% get along with the Morrison run on Batman. I, what... I liked it at the start. And then it sort of started started to lose me around the time just before R.I.P. I think. What did you think of um, Batman and Robin uh, when the the continuation of that after Batman R.I.P. Oh, when it was Dick Grayson and Damien. Yeah, what did you think? Didn't read it. Did you not? Oh, no. PJ. Oh, it's lovely. It's so good. Um, well, this is sorry. I mean, not not to bias your opinion. Uh, you should check it out and see what you think. Um, but yeah, the opening three-parter with um, uh, Batman and Robin uh, fighting... Um, who are they fighting? Uh, fighting uh, Professor Pig, and it's drawn by Frank Quitely. Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Do you know, I, I should go back and, and, and revisit the rest of Morrison's run on, on Batman. Because yeah, I didn't like R.I.P. I didn't like Final Crisis and a lot of what happened around that. And I think it was Morrison trying to bring back too much of the Golden Age stuff but ha- and say, no, this did actually happen, but try and have it make sense. A lot of it, you can't make work in the modern Batman era. And that, there was a bit too much of trying. I know he loves it and he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of the Golden Age stuff, but just leave it be, Grant. Um, I... I, I do. I do think it's in. Uh, I can't remember where I read it, but uh, I remember Grant uh, Morrison saying how um, when they brought him on to do Batman, you know, it's like, oh, it's uh, hey Grant, you know, hey baby, come on over, do uh, do Batman for us. Like we loved what you did with JLA, and um, I think uh, he was saying uh, they kind of just said, yeah, just bring the Morrison magic, just do what you got to do. <laughs> and I think he remembers. He remember him saying that like his editor was actually a bit disappointed. He was like, oh, I wanted um, all your weird 
surrealism and uh, bizarre stuff and instead you went for like Bruce Wayne as as James Bond like you did like you brought back yeah. all the kind of um weird intrigue and um league of shadows kind of stuff yeah yeah i should read the uh, the batman and robin stuff though cuz i am also a big fan of the um the prodigal storyline where dick grayson first becomes batman just after nightfall ah right with um azrael and all that just after azrael yeah um oh, okay, basically okay. after bruce wayne has come back and beaten azrael and reclaimed the mantle of the bat he then leaves and says, look, I've got to go. It's basically Bruce Wayne trying to make sure that he can never lose Gotham again. So he, he sort of goes underground and this is where all the stuff in No Man's Land with all these underground layers and things paid off later on. Oh, but in the right, meantime, right. Dick Grayson becomes Batman. And interesting side note to this, during this run, um, they make reference to the Punisher, implying that... What? Yeah, during during nightfall that whole thing one of the batman versus there were two batman versus punisher crossovers published in the 90s and one of them happened during the whole nightfall era and so jean paul valley as rail was batman so it was frank castle as the punisher versus jean paul valley as batman right. and um i believe it was the tally man was one of the villains involved so or i can't remember it might have been a different one but basically uh grayson Batman then encounters the same villain in the main title, and that villain remembers fighting Azrael Batman and the Punisher. Oh my god. PJ, how 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 could this be? I know. How could, how could that be allowed? <laughs> it's like a containment breach. You know, you imagine like little alarms going off in the DC offices. Oh, it's happened again. <laughs> Send in the silences, yeah. for God's sake. Wow. Okay, PJ. Again, I, I'm so glad you're here. Like you're just a font of knowledge of this kind of, of this kind of stuff. Um, but sorry, yeah, I guess we should probably get back to back to the main story. Um, uh, yeah, so from from that bizarre Batman scene, uh, we suddenly cut to a U.S. government teleport terminal in Washington D.C., and we have the new Green Arrow, Connor Hawk, um, who is about to experience his first time inside a teleport booth. Second. Oh. Of course, yes. Um, PJ, um, how new to the world was Connor Hawk at this point? Um, now I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know that it wasn't long after Oliver died that he took up the mantle, and Oliver died before Final Night, before Superman became an energy being. So, in terms of, I, I probably a good year or so in terms of our time. Um, so a couple of months DCU time probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, yeah. he, and generally, he's like a, a much more serious Green Arrow, I would say, than his dad. He is, yeah. Um, we saw him briefly in the issue, uh, the Tomorrow Woman issue, when the League were uh, auditioning members. So that, that was a, presumably his first go in a teleporter, and this is his second. Um, he's about to teleport up to the Watchtower, because the League, well, at the end of last issue, they'd gathered to welcome him aboard. Yeah, and I guess we can we yeah so yeah it's 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 kind of all happening off panel I suppose because we never see his audition, and we only get like a, a brief mention that the team were looking forward to welcoming him on board. So mm. we have to assume he passed, and yeah, so suddenly he's here. It's a nice little introduction to him, I guess. If um, you as a reader weren't following his own series, I suppose. Yeah. 
So you have a, a scientist saying, you know, teleporting up to nothing. It's it's fine. It feels like the rain on your skin, then you're gone. Which I think is a nice little way of describing it. I not that and I've also, done it, but it sounds nice. No, um, uh, no, that's the cover story we're sticking to anyway. <laughs> um, but we should say it's a very familiar scientist. Oh God! Yeah, look at that. Yeah, yeah my, um, how have I missed that? <laughs> Finally, I was able to uh, blow your mind. Uh, yeah, the, um, the the government scientist running the device is uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, as uh, as Brundle as uh, as um, from the Fly, basically. Teleport pods. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. No, no, PJ, it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's, it's good to still be surprised by things. So wow, that's um, amazing. I'm taking this in for a moment. Sorry. No, it's fine. You you bask. You bask. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, basically we have a nice little conversation where um, uh, Brundle, uh, Jeff Goldblum, is like, uh, yeah, I remember the old Green Arrow. Any relation? And uh, Connor's like, uh, yeah, he was my dad. And uh, yeah, I'm not quite a member yet. They're still testing me. And um, yeah, he goes, uh, wow, yeah, I must be getting old. He was your dad? What happened to him? And uh, Connor just goes, he died. Awkward. A little awkward. Now... Uh, I just want to say at this point, because um, this is the first time we get a full, proper full hero shot of Connor Hawk standing on the teleport pad. I really like his costume. I really like his costume as and, well. And I've been trying to work out exactly why that is. And I think I have finally hit upon it. And it's the mask. He's got one of those masks that you tie around your head and then has like the knot dangles behind and um it must just be a throwback to the ninja turtles the reason i love these masks quite so much but they are my favorite kind of superhero that masks. is a very that is a very good point pj like and i i do i do long for the day i, well, I dream of the days rather when um science actually gives us a for, a kind of fabric where you could just tie it around your eyes have perfect white eye holes and no one, <laughs> and no one would be able to tell who you were but I think artistically as well, a mask like that is a brilliant way of showing movement on a character who then doesn't have a cape or anything like that. Like when we Ooh, see Connor yeah. in action later on, you see the bits of his mask flying out behind him and, and it it really works for me. I love it. I think it's great. I, I also really like his um the fact that his costume is very pared down. Like it's it's not you know, like we talked about '90s costumes and how yeah. you could just put like spikes and chains and panels and pouches all over it. This is like the complete opposite. Like it is so simple and unflashy, which I think kind of just matches his character perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got some belt pouches, but they actually look like they might be of use rather yeah. than just being decorative. I suppose. Yeah, it's a very. You're right. It's a very unflashy costume. It's it's just. It would work for if he had to do some of those quieter, like undercover missions and things, hide in the shadows. And you don't get many superhero costumes with brown in them. No, so I think that that has to be applauded. No, the the brown boots, and then I don't know. Is it, is it like a hoodie that goes over the skin tight? It kind of looks it... like it. It looks like it might be a hoodie. I yeah, suppose. but with bits of it cut out. But um, I didn't think that you could add anyone to the dynamic of the magnificent seven i didn't think it would work and actually as we're about to see connor is incredibly endearing and he's actually a really nice addition to the book it's yeah like you say magnificent seven but at the same time you've got to have a green arrow on the league 
I think I've never really felt the emotional attachment to Oliver Queen, if I'm honest. Like, um, I, uh, I'm always like, well, we've, we've already got a Green Lantern. We don't need another green guy. You know, I don't care what your powers are. I tell you what made me. I, I'm a big Oliver Queen fan now. When I read these books, I wasn't. I did, in fact, my first reading of anything starring Green Arrow was this. So I met Connor oh. Hawke before I met Oliver Queen. Oh, interesting. Um, but you then get um, when Kevin Smith brought Oliver Queen back from the dead. I read that book and I was like, okay, I'm starting to like this guy. He's yeah, okay. And but it was the Justice League cartoon. Um, Ooh, where they did Justice League Unlimited, the last two seasons. Which yeah, yeah. Brought, where you had like basically a rotating cast of hundreds of heroes. But Green Arrow was a major player in that. He was in it a lot. I think he was in it more than some of the, the big seven main characters. It's funny you say that because I've watched Unlimited and I, I somehow don't remember him. Be- I remember the episode where him and Black Canary clash with, um, is it Huntress and The Question? Yep, that's a great one. That was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, the the first episode of Justice League Unlimited is him saying, no, I'm not joining the team. And then they kidnap him and he goes on a mission with them and says, fine, I'll join the team. Um, but there was another great one. He was the only other member of the league besides Superman and Batman that I remember that actually had his own theme tune that was worked into the score of the show. Seriously? And sometimes he would sing it along with it as he was doing heroic stuff. And I, it just endeared me to him. I loved oh. Oliver Queen. <laughs> Okay, you know what? You, you, I, I really want to go back and rewatch uh, that series because, yeah, you're you're making me want to want to care now. I so. recommend it, I, and that is what made me fall in love with Oliver Queen, which is why, unlike Flash and Green Lantern, where Kyle and Wally are my favourites, with Green Arrow, I, I love Connor, but it's Oliver for me. Mm, there you go. Get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I did for a while, and then it got torn up in the wash. Um, so, uh, Connor, meanwhile, uh, is inside the teleport booth. There is a, a, a gentle flash of green light. And then suddenly, uh, he, he is on the moon in the watchtower and there's nobody here to greet him. Yeah. I think this is, it's it's very well done actually these three panels because, Connor starts just wandering around the watchtower looking for someone. He says, hello, anybody here? And then the next two panels, it's just, hello, hello. But he is very small in the panels with a lot of scenery around him. It's a very, very well done sense of isolation that you get. And, um, of course, a nice little throwback because he sticks his head inside uh, the trophy room where we see uh, Booster Gold's uh, extreme 90s armor. We see the deactivated IF device. And uh, some trick arrows. Specifically, a boxing glove arrow. And from there, we cut suddenly back to Krypton, where we are introduced to Cal L, the Green Lantern of Space Sector. Wait, can you remember? Can you remember? Can you remember? Uh, of Space Sector 2813. Oh, you've had to turn back. Oh, no, John. no, that was, that was a different piece of paper. I was, <laughs> I was um, and yeah, there is a... Um, it's just another day in the life of um, the Green Lantern of Krypton, and he's trying to stop a giant self-assembling crystalline brain from uh, damaging the city. Like can, you do. Can we talk about Kal El's Green Lantern outfit? Yes, I think we can. It's Peter. so strange to me. I don't. So he's he's got the traditional Green Lantern outfit, the one that Hal Jordan wore 
so the green with the black legs and green boots, white gloves, the Green Lantern Circle symbol on his chest, the green domino mask, and then a red cape with a green symbol on it, the Green Lantern symbol on it. it just, oh, he does. I've never noticed that he had the Green Lantern symbol on his cape. It, it, and I know it's supposed to be, it's Kal-El, it's the Superman cape with the Green Lantern outfit, but it doesn't quite work for me. I Well, I've got to say, it works less for me now that you've pointed out that he's got the Green Lantern logo on his cape. Like, for me at least, him having like a big red cape never bothered me so much. Because uh, I, I guess like everyone's allowed one piece of flair. I think it's just, I think it's because it's a red cape. I think that's just too many colours in one costume. It, it is green, black, white and red. It's just a bit too much going on. I think if the it, cape was green or black... I'd... Well, I guess it, it is on the other end of the colour spectrum to green. Yeah. So, yeah, very clashing. But I guess, you know, maybe Kryptonians really just love a, a red cape or the House of L really <laughs> yeah. loves a red cape, I guess. But I, I also, you know, I, it's weird seeing Superman with a mask. He's still got the spit curl. And, and that and, chin. And that, But he's wearing a mask. This, this isn't right. I've got to say, like, the red cape has never bugged me as much as the fact that Green Lanterns have green boots but white gloves. <laughs> that, that has always bugged me immensely. I feel, that, I feel that have white boots, like, as well. Just make it, no, make they, it match. They'd get it drives dirty. me mad. They'd get really dirty. It always bothers me when the Punisher wears white boots. I'm like, they're going to get covered in blood. Come on. White boots is a no-no. Yeah, and and well, I don't know. Maybe like every ring just comes with some kind of like automatic cleaning function. You know, you'd maybe never have dirt on you at all. But you know what would work? Green gloves. Well, it's too much, PJ. I quite, I, I quite like, I quite like the, I quite like the white, the white glove look. I just, I guess, some white boots. <laughs> this is, this is. We're never going to agree on this, John, and we should just end the podcast here. We're done. Yeah, well, our friendship was nice while it lasted, I should say. <laughs> um, I guess one thing that is nice is that, because we're, we're privy to Cal's uh, thoughts while mm. he's dealing with this crisis, you get the impression that this is just like another day in the life of a Green Lantern. But I like how even when there's a danger of this brain destroying the city or maybe even threatening the planet, um, he... He's going. He's solving the problem in a smart way. Like even this, like he's not just punching or blasting the hell out of it. Uh, yeah, he's he's trying to. I don't know. I guess he's trying to trying to find some way around it that will fix yeah. it. I, I I just like that a lot. It says a lot about Cal or Clark, whatever you want to call him. It does, and but also it it's different to how he normally as superman would deal with things you could it's it's a very scientific assessment this you can see that he, this is the kryptonian uh version of kal-el he was brought up and raised on krypton even even the way they show the caption boxes they're more square with a more computerized font i should also say that we get a very little throwaway comment where he says um I can't allow this creature to leech any more energy from these subterranean valve stations my father invented to stabilize Krypton's molten core. Which means that Krypton is safe. Krypton is not at risk of exploding. Basically, in this reality, they listened to Jor-El. Yeah. So, in case you 
you know, it's like, PJ, I, th- I think something weird is going on here. I don't, I don't know. think this is the Superman we know and love. No, it is. It's fine. Everything's Just because he's all of a sudden not an energy being, has never been to Earth, and he's a Green Lantern. You know, it's just, they just didn't pay attention to the continuity. That's all that's happened here, John. Well, continuity is, is, is often a burden to new readers, PJ. <laughs> and I, I, th- I think Superman suddenly being a Green Lantern in between issues, I, I think it's just a bold new direction for yeah, the series. exactly. Um, we get a cute little moment where... Um, one of Green Lantern's admirers um, <laughs> offers to let him have a sniff of her intelligence-enhancing perfume, which is a very cute kind of cheesy 60s kind of moment, I feel. Yeah, and then I, I do like as well that the Green Lantern agrees to it, and then his, his, his thought bubble is just a tick. Like, aha! <laughs> I've had an idea. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, I also love the continuity in recognizing the naming conventions of Kryptonians. Yes. Where like males seem to carry the name of their house. So Kal-El. Um, and and the, the uh, females seem to have like a single word as their name. Like I think Lilo or Hantha yep. in this instance. Daughter of Zon-Ur. The name oh, and Zon also Ur rings a bell, and I cannot remember why. I, well, they have gone to the effort of underlining it, so I'm sure that is a callback to something. I wouldn't put it past Morrison. Or we might just be remembering Zonzor. Maybe, maybe we are. Maybe we are. Maybe Zon is like the Jeff of <laughs> alien names. Like, there's always a Jeff. Um, I should say there's another cute moment where uh, this uh, this lady is obviously quite uh, enamoured with uh, Cal because. Uh, she basically says, hey, uh, give me a call. My uh, key phone number is pi to nine digits. Oh, he's in there. <laughs> he's in. Um, I also just like that they're on this page where you have some of the like, the Kryptonian robots, like the ones he has in the Fortress of Solitude. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, didn't he have like one with a bit more personality for a while? Kellex. Kellex, yeah. Whatever happened to him? Uh don't remember. He may have Probably. been wiped out in um, the uh, Flashpoint New 52 thing. Oh, probably. Yeah. Probably. He's, no one's going to shed a tear for Kallax. Um But yeah, PJ, what what's happening now? Because well, we've suddenly cut to a new weird scene. Yeah, we, we turn the page and there's the Superman we all know and love in his energy suit, as the Superman should Superman. be. Um, and he's got some wires attached to his head. He's lying down, eyes closed, and he's struggling. Um, and someone calls for Key Man 1, and then it pulls back, and you can see that in pods next to Superman, either side of him, are Batman and Wonder Woman, similarly lying there with uh, with wires attached to their own heads. In fact, the entire Justice League, minus uh, Jean, who, uh, as we knew, had taken a leave of absence um, following the angel attack on San Francisco... Uh, Yeah, all the leaguers we saw being incapacitated at the end of uh, last issue, and they're now all in these weird little kind of coffin bed things with cables attached to their heads, and there's robots going around. And uh, we hear someone calling out, Superman in, check, Batman in, check, Aquaman in, check, and those are the other realities we've seen. So who is next? Oh, it's Wonder Woman. And we see one of the robots, these bizarre robots, uh, click in uh, some, I guess, like a vial of liquid into mm. uh, its wrists and uh, a hypodermic needle 
uh, kind of sticks out of its finger as a voice says, administer the neural virus, Keyman 1. And uh, yeah, someone is, uh, someone's monologuing. Someone's having a good old-fashioned villain monologue. To be fair, if you listen to the last episode, you probably know who. You could probably guess who it is. But this um, is where Connor arrives. Yeah, and uh, right off the bat, uh, without saying a word, he's just kind of spying on the scene, and we just instantly know that he's on the case, that he's just gone into battle mode. So he, he pulls an arrow from his quiver as the uh, the unseen voice says, uh, of the League, each in his own little bottle world, each working for me unaware, dreaming me to total power. And then I like this bit, Dr. Destiny, bah, dream on. Because of I course like we the... have seen Dr. Destiny do this very recently. We ha- Oh yes, yeah, I was going to say, not just not just have the whole kind of dream shtick, but yeah, actually do this almost exact same thing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I do. I do like uh, villains that have a degree of professional pride in their line of work. Um, and yeah, and suddenly the robots notice uh, Connor, uh, and he instantly brings out an arrow uh, and uh, spears one of them through the head as these robots kind of round on him. And this panel of Connor leaping out and firing the arrow, I love the look of determination on his face. The lines in the background and the way his mask is flowing behind him to and show movement. flowing behind him, yeah. It's just beautiful. And uh, one of the robots uh, shouts for him to stop and Connor just goes, sure, you know, why not? I, <laughs> while, I, while drawing another arrow. I don't think he means that. No, he's probably, he probably doesn't mean that. Um, and yeah, and then I also love a good Grant Morrison, crazy ass villain talking to themselves. <laughs> And now we get a page entirely devoted to the sinister figure we saw at the end of the previous issue, who I believe, PJ, has not actually been named on the page until now. Um, no, there were some big clues, and I think we did say who it was. Yeah, because uh, we just can't keep our mouths shut, yeah, basically. Yeah, um, but he's got... It's This page is, is good. It's a slow reveal, so it starts with a close-up of his hand, which has... This metallic sort of gauntlet on it, which has key type things coming off the end of the fingers, and then it's you get a great a design close up of the his red eyes, his pale skin, his white hair, and then you pull back and it's 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 the key. It's the key. Not as uh, we know him. Not as we know him. And I've got to say, this is and clearly we're fans of Morrison, but this is something I always particularly enjoyed about Morrison is that his his ability to take some almost forgotten element of continuity and breathe new life into this. And so we have the key who, far as I'm aware, PJ, was just a relatively smart guy with key-themed gimmicks. He'd, he'd um, It was something about having unlocked powers in his brain That's and he could unlock things like mm. in, in your head. That's why he was the key. What I really like, though, the... the and it's something I only noticed when I was reading this uh, this comic an hour ago or so before we started recording. Um, the key is is we, he's in this emaciated form we saw last issue, and and the new costume with his all leather straps. Uh, but his chair, the head of his chair, is is shaped like his old hat. Yes. <laughs> now, I've got to salute. Like, just being evil, like anyone can do that. It's easy, you know. <laughs> just look on the news. But, like, actually putting effort and money into branding 
yeah. takes effort. That's what separates like little league from big league. And I've got to admire a guy who can come out of a coma and then not only have killer robots, but make a throne, make a floating throne with a key-shaped headpiece. It's very cool. Um, it's not, not floating, John. It's It's on legs that are on raised bits of floor. Do you not think it's floating? No, I thought it was floating like a tiny bit. I think it's on suction cups. Could the suction cups be floating? Maybe. Oh, wait, looking Maybe. at the shadow. I, I really don't know, to be honest. <laughs> Let's agree to disagree. It's either floating or it's not. Maybe it's leaping. Maybe we've caught <laughs> it like between jumps. Anyway, um, I should say that all the key has to say is that he says, imagine the brain as a vast mansion with... Oh, let's say a million rooms, uh, a million locked doors and a million keyholes. And he basically says that only uh, most people only ever use a few of those rooms. Um, However, he has been pumping his brain full of psychochemicals and he's been unlocking all the doors in his head. So his gimmick is he's currently tapping 90% of the brain we never use and he's having all sorts of wonderful new ideas. He then goes on to say that he's finally done it, the Justice League are his, and their thoughts belong to the key, and with their help, he's going to open the doors onto a new universe. He should also say that, uh, he also points out that an interesting side effect of his expanding consciousness is that he can't stop talking to himself. And I love that, Morrison saying, (laughs) yeah, monologuing's ridiculous, this guy has a reason for doing it though. (laughs) I gotta say, I have such a soft spot for characters who are avatars yeah. of things like um like uh we've we've run out of all the good ones like so many characters have like um fire as a superpower so many characters as ice so so many are just fast or strong give me a character whose power is entirely about keys and i'm just i'm sold like I, i'm yours for life basically like i it's weird and, yeah. it's, and it can mean a lot of things, whether you're like unlocking doors or just unlocking the capacity of your brain. Oh, yes, but I'm the, so on board. The fact that he leans into it and just sort of festoons his costume with keys for no reason as well. He's this sinister, emaciated, creepy looking guy, but he still has keys on his fingers. He's also got a key themed gun, which yeah. is quite impressive. But uh, we're going to cut then to, uh, to the next program. Yeah, and... We have... Nazi zombies! Nazi zombies. Uh, and we have Wonder Woman um, kicking a Nazi zombie uh, in a kind of Indiana Jones-esque tomb scenario. And she's wearing, um, I believe, PJ, well, she's wearing like a white dress. Yeah. And I'm fairly certain, didn't Wonder Woman as a character briefly wear this at some point in the 60s? Am I'm, I dreaming that? No, I am sure this is... I can't remember where from, where where she, where she wore it, but I am sure it is a costume that has appeared before in the comics. Because I feel like... I feel that even in the early days of Wonder Woman, I, I think they had some trouble trying to work out how to best market her like how to best kind of sell her as a character and they've tried a lot of different interpretations over Mm, the years yeah and i I do think there was a period in in her history where they tried to make it more like a spy uh a a spy comic i think they even took her powers away for a bit yes and they had her just be like a an adventurer just going around around the planet you know 
getting into scrapes like this. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that. And obviously with her here is is the guy she used to spy with. It's Steve Trevor, but he is dressed like Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, this is a, clearly a direct homage or throwback or whatever. Uh, like slightly camp storytelling and all because, um, yeah, it's very much like, oh, we're being attacked by Nazi zombies and Skeev takes uh, great lengths to explain how he has the clockwise Buddhist swastika, which is a symbol of life and, of course, the exact opposite of Nazis. So uh, they're afraid of it. And this was a moment where a comic genuinely educated me in life. <sighs> when I first read it, I was like, is that a thing? And yeah, it is. The, the Nazi swastika was a subversion of a symbol of life. There you go. There you go. Early and very evil marketing there. Uh, actually, most of marketing is evil. Most of it, yeah. Most of it. Um, uh, but yeah, um, and Steve also whips out a handful of uh, maggots, which he throws on the zombies uh, because they will just eat the zombies. And uh, we get like a very comical scene of a Nazi zombie kind of screaming while maggots kind of pour yeah. all over it. Does, does Steve Trevor have Mary Poppins bag? Is that... I think he does. I think this is also like the unreality of it, where yeah. it is very much like, um, uh, yeah, much like uh, Green Lantern uh, Superman getting inspiration from some perfume. This is very cheesy. Like yeah. the fact that Steve explains everything he's doing in like ridiculous length. It's, it's almost like, yeah. It, it's very B movie, and I love it for it. Yeah, and um, uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, kicks in a door like you do because they're looking for von gunther whoever that may be uh and wonder woman's asking what she wants and steve points out that they're in the temple of no the primal she god so <laughs> more explanations <laughs> and apparently it contains treasures beyond worth yeah and as they enter the throne room of this temple to they they freeze in horror because uh there is a well, I guess the, the von Gunther they were mentioning, uh, Baroness Paula von Gunther, who is a kind of stern-looking uh, Nazi woman with a long cigarette, who is sitting on, literally on a golden throne surrounded by treasure and skeletons. Now, I'm pretty sure she is a character from Wonder Woman history. Um, oh, okay, okay. I, I'm, uh, I might be misremembering, but I'm sure I've read some very old Wonder Woman comics where... Von Gunther was the antagonist. And, well, I don't know if she's ever done this at any point in the past, but she is holding the treasure of No, which is literally like the planet Earth in a glass bottle. Which is a little worrying, apparently. Yeah. Apparently. And uh, she says it's the key to her master plan. Um, she's going to establish a new Reich uh, that will endure until the stars go out. And she specifically says to Diana here, without your superpowers, so that's also a thing, which, how did she kick open that massive wooden door? But okay. Well, she, I mean, she works out, PJ. True. She's got quite, quite powerful leg muscles. Uh, yeah, she hasn't got a hope in hell of preventing um, von Gunther's plan, which is a shame. And once again, before we have any time to process that, we are suddenly back with Aquaman and the program is running. And he is climbing in his kind of skin-tight water disco suit up onto this boat, carrying, a, like, kind of dragging a massive sack of crates behind him. Like, yeah, a ridiculously sized 
sack of supplies, basically. Uh, salvaged some weapons and some food, apparently. And he said it's not much and it won't last long. So there must be a lot of people on this boat. Yeah, uh, and in case you had any any doubts, we are clearly in kind of um, post-apocalyptic territory. And yeah, these are like the last survivors of like a flooded planet. And they are apparently trying to get to the mountains and dry land. It's a real water world kind of scenario. Yeah, it really is. And what, water world was 95, 96? So yeah, in recent, it's not that long ago. It's got to be a direct reference. It has to be. It has to be, and Aquaman is Kevin Costner. Yeah, and of course Kevin Costner, known for his his blue disco water suit, really. So it all comes full circle. I mean, that would have improved the film. Let's be honest. Um, we have a as the survivors are kind of like uh, going through the crates which uh, uh, Aquaman has provided. Uh, we have a little girl in rags who uh, reaches down to a tin of food and just goes, "There's no." key on the tin i can't open it and instead of going you ungrateful little worm (laughs) aquaman just pauses and says what yeah there's a look of genuine kind of confusion on his face like just for a moment he's troubled by something that he can't quite make sense of before he has time to think about it wouldn't you know it manta raiders arrive yeah and they're all wearing black manta helmets but with gliders. I don't think but he normally gliders. has that, does he? No, he, he. I think he's he's more of a swimmist, really. <laughs> a, s- a swimmist? Yeah, he's an Olympic-level swimmist. Okay. Yeah, keep the program, PJ. <laughs> I, I <laughs> um, will. Uh, and suddenly, uh, we're back on Krypton, with, where the program continues to run. And, um, yeah, a Green Lantern, uh, Superman, is explaining how he allowed the crystalline brain to regrow to pre-critical size and then used the ring to translate its rudimentary code message. So he tells us that the brain was just a, a remote device amplifying a signal that he has traced to a planet in a neighboring sector. Looks a lot like Earth. Yeah, and he's in a cool kind of, like... I don't know how you'd even describe it, like a kind of planetarium or viewing area. And there's tons of like crystal spheres and sticks kind of poking out everywhere. And Earth is inside one of them. But while he's he's talking business, his his mother is present and she's she's also trying to just talk to him about more personal matters. Uh, and she's, she's wearing the coolest Kryptonian headdress, I should yeah. say. It's one of very pointy golden You've seen it in John Byrne comics. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just badass, I should say. But uh, she says to him that uh, he's trying too hard to live up to his father's unrealistic expectations, but uh, Cal just brushes <laughs> that aside and says, let's discuss this subject at a de- designated encounter period. Mother, I have work to do. <laughs> I think as, as a human society, we could benefit from having designated encounter periods. I'm definitely going to use that line on my mum next time she wants to get together. I would love to be able to say to people, no, 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 not now. Let's schedule something in and then we can talk for five minutes and then I will walk away. This isn't our designated Um, encounter period. um, But we are starting to get these weird little repetitions, these weird little kind of deja vus because Wonder Woman had a planet in a bottle and now we have Superman with a planet in a bottle. And then his mother says, uh, you'll need the memory key to unlock key. the data sphere and uh Cal just says the key 
Yeah, and, and he has that same look that Aquaman had, had on his face, as if just for a moment he's troubled by this reality he finds himself in. But again, or maybe I'm just I'm putting emotions into his into his mouth. Again, though, doesn't really have time to think about it because we cut back to the Watchtower, and it's not going well for Green Arrow. Uh, yeah, he is uh, running, fighting, rolling for his life as these robots are raining energy blasts down upon him. And um, I do like how uh, even as he's fighting them, he goes, this isn't part of the test, is it? Like, he still thinks this might be part of his initiation. As he fires two arrows into the head of another robot. But then the key shouts from off uh, off the page, stop it, you costumed vandal. Now, PJ, to support my theory that his throne might be floating, uh, is his throne, is the key throne uh, surrounded by smoke? Or am I imagining that? <clears throat> um, no comment. Okay, no comment. No, it's fine. It's All fine. right, it's floating, okay? It's flo- it, no, let's say it's sliding. Can't we, can, can, we, can we split the difference? No, I think it's definitely floating if we go a couple of panels ahead. <laughs> okay. Look, I take no joy in being correct, PJ. You should you should know that. This is your favourite uh, thing. Uh, it's, it literally gives me a joy and like no other, and it sustains me in the long, cold nights. Um, but no, the, the key in a wonderful moment of self-awareness uh, is, is furious at Connor for breaking his robots because as he points out, do you have any idea how long it takes to build one of those? He's incensed. Because the next thing is, how dare you damage my equipment? He's taking this very personally. And then he says, who are you anyway? You're not on my list. And Connor goes, well, you're not on mine. You first. And the key is if there was in any doubt. <laughs> Just angers him further. Uh, gets his big old key gun out and goes, who am I? I'm the, I, well, let's imagine he's a cockney, I don't know. <laughs> I'm the imminent master of, well, everything, really. I'm the key, you ignorant junk food MTV moron. Doesn't that mean anything to you? I'm the key. And he fires his gun, you know. So, yeah, he's the key, PJ. He's the key. He's, he's who? Uh, I think he's the key. Okay, cool. Not entirely sure. And um, Connor, bless him, goes, I don't watch MT. And before he can finish that sentence, uh, the blast sears right along his quiver. <laughs> Sounds painful. Yeah, I mean, you don't want a singed quiver, that's for sure. Oh, I don't want to be blasted in the quiver. So uh, the the key then walks over. There's clearly smoke uh, hiding what the key assumes is a dead green arrow. And the key, again, some he's clearly crazy, and I love it. because he's, And your name is D-E-A and D again. Spells dead, Junior, just in case they didn't teach you that on. And then the smoke clears, and there's just the torn remnants of the quiver. A couple and of some- arrows. And and uh, I like and again I, I I find the key very endearing in his self awareness because he goes that's what happens when you're lying in a coma for years the muscles waste away mist uh, but still he doesn't think Connor is much of a threat because he's wounded and clearly he's lost all his arrows so Got no weapons yeah so maybe this is the definition of hubris but he basically goes ah it doesn't matter you know we'll catch him in a bit nothing yeah I'm sure he can't you know cause any problems for my master plan and then it's basically look we've, we've we've got to locate the next lock and then he won't be able to hide let's just go let's quickly let's just do this let's get this done back to business and uh, as him and his uh, robots kind of stalk away which i think is maybe a little foolish for a very smart person uh, like the key yeah uh, we we see connor nursing uh, an injured shoulder 
uh, as he crouches beside uh, the cabinet containing his father's trick arrows. And it's, it's you could easily miss that because it is you just get the tip of the bow and two the feathers of two arrows. That's all you see at the top, very top of the panel, just creeping in. But um, hmm, mm, where will indeed. Connor get a weapon? Where will Green Arrow get a bow and arrows? Now, uh, PJ, where do we go from there? Uh, Gotham City and the Batmobile's been wrecked. And uh, someone is screaming, Robin. And uh, we see a coffee cup falling to the floor in slow motion. And then uh, it cuts to Batman, who's in some kind of trench with presumably what passes for the GCPD in the future behind him. And he's screaming into his wrist communicator, uh, Robin, can you hear me? And um, he's clearly not getting a response. Uh, and in the kitchen of, I'm going to assume, Wayne Manor, we see uh, Bruce in a dressing gown. Pink and dressing also gown. A pink dressing gown and also a really high-tech kind of headset where he can receive Batman's uh, transmission, which I kind of love. I like the idea that this is just how Bruce gets coffee in the mornings. Yeah. And Selina walks in and asks what's going on and, and Bruce just says something's wrong. And then we cut back to Batman asking them to get Commissioner Montoya to send back up. Says, Which is a really nice detail. Yes, yeah. Because um, Rennie Montoya is awesome. And at this point in DC Comics, uh, she certainly wasn't the question, was she? she oh, God, was just no. no, she was just uh, another detective in, well, in Gotham. I think I'm right in saying she's one of those characters who first appeared on Batman the Animated Series, and then they brought her into the comics. So she hadn't actually been around for very long in, in the comics. Um, Unless I'm dreaming, didn't they do a lot of work with the character in... Was it Gotham... Was it Gotham Confidential or Gotham Underground? There wasn't there a series which just focused on the police department in Gotham? Yes, uh, written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Michael Lark. It features one of the all-time great Joker stories. Um, I want to say it's called Gotham Central. Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. Because I never read it, but I was aware of it and I heard it was good. I've I've read some of it. I've read the first few issues and I've read that Joker story, which is like a five-issue story some I think from issue 20 or so where basically Joker invades the police station and Batman's not there and they have to try and deal with the Joker on on their own and it's it's really good um so yeah so I guess it's nice to know that in this reality she's been promoted to commissioner which is quite I guess a fun little thing um but I guess like uh, it looks like Gotham is going to hell and as Batman Batman 2.0 swings into action we see a figure holding the limp body of robin above the ground and uh batman just kind of screams let the boy go whoever you are let the boy go and then the smoke clears and batman looks panicked and he just says it's him he's back oh god it's never going to end it's him and straight away bruce knows what's up because bruce just says the joker and we have a horribly old and kind of sickly looking Joker with, um, yeah, definitely like old man slicked back green hair and wrinkles, which and, is... Pro- and liver just, spots. Yeah, which is like the only way I can think to make the Joker look worse, basically. Um, and yeah, and he just he just goes, huh. 
I do like as well his uh, his badge with the bat symbol on it with a cross through it. Again, it's all about branding, PJ. Like, you know, this is what makes a good villain. Do they take the time to accessorize? It is it is a very scary looking joker. I love I love a joker that makes an ironic laugh. Yes. Like he didn't cackle, he just goes, huh, quietly. Big fan. Big fan. And uh, it feels like we're rushing towards a climax here because you then on the next page just get one panel each of Bruce, Kal-El, Diana and Arthur just all looking worried. Bruce is angry, determined. Cal is rocketing through the sky. Diana looks terrified and, and Arthur looks angry. And I guess like, and I think also I just noticed, I think they forgot to colour Arthur's moustache. Yes, they did. <laughs> Which I've never, I have never noticed before. No, me neither. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I guess you could say that each in their own reality, they're all reaching a crisis point, basically. They all seem to be accelerating at the same rate towards something terrible happening. And uh, back in the real world, uh, Keyman 3 is preparing to administer the virus to the Flash. And he goes, our little replica reality is about to bear uh, fruit. Soon we can begin in earnest. Soon they will be ready to do my work and hand me the keys to all of creation. Sounds bad. Who can possibly save them? This is bad. Uh, so where do we cut to, PJ? Oh, look, we're back in the trophy room. Oh, yeah, Connor's here. Whew. So he's Connor is bandaging up his uh, the top of his arm. Uh, he's pulling the knot tight with his teeth and, and his other hand. And uh, in the trophy case behind him, you see the cowl of the Flash. Presumably that's one of Barry's. Yeah, I was looking, I was staring and staring and staring at that thing. And I knew it came from a Flash. And I, I just couldn't quite make sense of it. And I thought it might have been a shoe or something. Uh, but no, a mask, a cowl is a is a lot more fitting, I think. Um, and I, this is this is just an absolutely beautiful moment for me because one thing we haven't mentioned is is um, this Green Arrow doesn't use the trick arrows; he just uses arrows, pointy, sharp arrows. And I, I think that's a sign of the times as well because maybe back in the day it didn't seem kind of fitting for your hero to be shooting villains with bladed instruments, hence, you know, boxing glove arrows and such. So this is the 90s, man. Connor uses proper arrows. Yeah, and when uh, Oliver came back, he would also use proper arrows. He wouldn't go back to the trick arrows. It would just be arrows. Although, again, to go back to the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, I do like how they did it in that where the arrows looked sort of like normal arrows, but instead of a, a pointed tip, they had a little rounded cylinder on the end. And then after he fired it, the cylinder would open up with whatever device he'd put in it. And sometimes it was a boxing glove and it was delightful. I, I, I like, be it Hawkeye, be it Green Arrow or whoever, I do have a, a soft spot for bow and arrow superheroes. Yep, yep. It, it's weird that they are such a trope. Yes. Do you think? Yeah, and uh, it's really Hawkeye that's responsible for that because before Hawkeye came along, Green Arrow, and you have to whisper it, didn't have much of a character. But then all of a sudden the Avengers got this brusque, surly Archer character and uh, soon after that Green Arrow sort of started to get a bit brusque and surly and, and very... I, yeah. I used to, because I've got the um, black and white uh, essential reprints of on kind of like newspaper mm. quality paper of the old Avengers comics from, yeah. from the 60s. 
and I loved them. Like I, 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 I would reread those over and over and over again as a teenager, yeah. and I still loved them even though they were like forty years old or whatever. And Hawkeye was a lot of fun. Like back in the day, just being a bit of a jerk all the time. Yep, had a lot of time for Hawkeye. Just, just creating problems in the team. <laughs> Let's be honest, a a bit of a dick. Yeah, um, and that it's around that time when sort of Green Arrow started to become that too. Now, then, in later years, they did move away slightly in terms of characterization. Uh, again, you know, they're both still sort of surly archers, but in very different ways. Um, yes. And I, I think I, there's there's uh they they touch on that in the JLA Avengers crossover. Which, I was just gonna say yes, yeah. I liked how the two of them clashed so repeatedly. Their interactions in. were beautiful in that. Of course, it does raise a question: Why would you need two people on a team who can both shoot arrows? Because one of them sh- at that point, one of them shoots sharp arrows, one of them shoots trick arrows, so they do very different things. That's a very good point, PJ. They could set each other up. Um, but speaking of pointy arrows and speaking of trick arrows uh we see connor with his bandaged arm looking towards the display cabinet where there are a bunch of novelty trick arrows and he smashes the glass with his elbow and this is lovely so you get the the elbow smash and then there's a close-up of connor's face as he holds up the boxing glove arrow and he just quietly says handcuff arrows net arrows boxing glove arrows the next panel, he's he's got Oliver's bow and he's he's knocking an arrow on it, and he just says, "Dad, oh, Dad," and then the issue finishes with a splash page of Connor Hawk running into action with his dad's weapons, looking determined, every bit the hero, but just saying, "You're going to be the death of me." It is amazing, like it, it's so well done, and a very nice and subtle detail that the bow and arrows he's picked up are a different colored green they're bright they're much brighter than the green of his own costume yeah yeah kind of like gaudy even i would say like yeah. and then just the look on connor's face like it's not disgust it's just exasperation he's just like oh my god like this is ridiculous like how, i can't believe i have to fight with these but there's also a lot of his dad in that that is olive if oliver yeah, sure, the trick arrows, the bow, they belonged to Oliver, but when Oliver's put in a situation he's not happy with, you can imagine him reacting in the exact same way. Oh, yeah, no, he's, like, I, I guess, like, the the Queen family line, um, never shy of voicing their opinions, I should say. <laughs> but I also, a really, really, really nice character detail is that Connor isn't yet a member of the Justice League. He's about to become a member of the Justice League. He also knows... He's under no illusions that he is considerably weaker mm. than the average member of the Justice League. And he's up in against, he just walks blindly into a scenario where a villain has taken down probably the six, six of the most powerful people on the planet. And not once does he question his place and how he just has to save them. He just goes right into action. Yeah. Like it tells you so much about the character without saying a lot. It's, it's lovely. It really does. I do feel that this this issue and the next issue um, kind of gets some great moments through the rest of the series, but these two issues are the high point in terms of him, in terms of Green Arrow's character and and what like this this splash page that ends the issue. I think is my absolute favorite Connor Hawk moment. Mm. Mm. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because you, you you know, not like a massive spoiler, but but Connor isn't with the JLA for an exceptionally long period of time. Um, 
but he definitely excels even in just this kind of like very short appearance here. He may, yeah. he, it's hard not to like him, I think. And it's hard not to it's hard not to believe that he deserves a place on the team, you know, despite just being a guy with arrows. Well, he's he shows the, you know, he can hold his own against more powerful foes and he can improvise, he can think his way around a situation and he can moan like Green Arrow. It's It's brilliant. It also makes sense why why they would want him yes and i think also why someone like batman who is probably like the harshest judge we know why he would be comfortable enough to have him on the team because i mean i think he's backing like issue two doesn't doesn't um doesn't batman say something to the effect of he can't afford to surround himself with poorly trained people in costumes basically yeah yeah it's when he and superman are flying to zonzor he says, present company accepted, of course. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, PJ, I, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, now we've come to the end of the episode. What do you think? Uh, for me, the issue, I enjoy the, the parallel universe stuff, the League. That's a lot of fun, seeing Superman, Aquaman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, the, the realities that have been dreamed up for them. Um, but it is something we've seen very recently. Uh, I think this is a slightly more fun variation on it. Um, and it even comments on Dr. Destiny doing it. But for me, the high point is, is Connor Hawk is green arrow. I just, I love him throughout this issue. He is really, really good. It's a really, it's a really nice counterbalance between, I guess, the A and B plots. And I'd like it because it, it does a lot. There's a lot of storytelling here without having to oversell it. Yeah. Like uh it's very it's very confident storytelling and I think it uses the space very well. Like I mean frankly, I mean to to set up what four alternate realities yeah. and introduces to a new character in the span of one issue, that's that shows an incredible amount of efficiency of storytelling, I think. Yeah, uh yeah, it really does. And the fact that none of it feels rushed or uh that you understand what's going on. There's there's never an issue with any of that. It just... I mean, we've talked about how good Morrison is at pacing an issue before, where he's doing a one-part, a two-part, or a six-part story, whatever it is. He knows how to pace a story and how to bring an issue to a climax, whether that is a satisfying ending or a cliffhanger, but also still something that will make you want to read the next issue. Like Connor Hawk running into action with his dad's weapons. Yes, I want to see that. I think also it's I, this is me maybe reading more into it than is really there, but I think sometimes you can tell when a creative team are having fun. Yes, where it doesn't feel like a chore, um, and I think it's so evident in the fact that you could have told the exact same story and put only half as much effort into developing the alternate realities, because ultimately they're not important. The important part is what's going on with Connor and the fact that the JLA are trapped in dreams. Like, this is not important. So I love that, despite it being unnecessary, Yeah, they went into so much detail to make each of these alternate worlds seem fun and weird to the point where if there was a full-blown Elseworlds story, like you'd want to kind of see more of it, I think. But also that they're so 
enticing that you want to read about what's happening in them you open the issue and obviously the first time i read this trade i had no idea what was going on but when you open the issue with superman being green lantern and you that whole sequence and then you get aquaman in a post-apocalyptic water world new york before you even get to green arrow teleporting up to the to the satellite and the 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 crux of the story the green arrow and the key it's still enough to bring you in and go i really want to know what's going on here it, it and again I, I you know i don't want to just like i know it probably just sounds like i'm just kissing this issue's ass like uh, relentlessly but like it doesn't insult your intelligence which i do i do kind of like mm. it it doesn't it doesn't open with the key going haha i've 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 locked out all the jla in a in a in a hypnotic dream state like it just it it trusts you enough to follow along and work out what's happening, which um, is great. And I also, I also just like how even in these alternate realities, each of the characters is true to their nature. Yes, which I think is lovely. Like Cal or Clark, he's still a smart, conscientious person, regardless of whether he's Superman or Green Lantern. Yep, and Aquaman's still. He's angry, but he's still doing what he needs to do to help everyone. And Bruce is Bruce. Bruce is Bruce. <laughs> yeah, Bruce is always Bruce. And Diana's still just kick ass. <laughs> even without powers, of course. Yeah. You know, like saving the world, even without powers. Kicking Nazi I- zombies, kicking indoors, kicking Nazis. I have to say, like, I, I, I do really love this story and and of course the the concluding part which will be coming up next issue because i i think the next part in particular has some of my favorite i think kind of batman moments and i guess kind of greater jla moments as well from the series like it's there's so much wonderful character stuff coming up and yeah it's just i'm so excited to get to it and the fact that we haven't seen uh wally or kyle's alternate realities yet um because <laughs> oh, those god, are a lot yeah. of fun kyle in particular i remember it being a lot of fun oh god yeah you just you just reminded me what's coming up yeah oh yes uh, but I, it, it's exciting pj what i also really like though is how much of a contrast this is to the story that came before you know we, we've just finished this story where there's a, this huge apocalyptic threat these angels gonna destroy the world and everything feels huge and then it's followed up with Green Arrow shooting some robots. Well, it's like it's like we were saying. It's like it's like um, it's like trying to work out the track listing on an album, you know. And you open with a banger to get everyone kind of like their blood pumping, you know. So we have aliens invade, great. Then we instantly switch to a one-off, beautiful little character study, and then suddenly it's a different. Then it's angels. Like where do you go from like aliens with the powers of Superman? Oh no, no wait. It's angels. Yep, yep. That's the kind of series we're going to be, and then to go to this kind of story, I it, it I like how they're all ticking a different box. It's no, it's never just punch, punch, punch. It's always something a little different in every little storyline. I think it's one of the strengths of the series um, as a whole, and and Morrison as a writer is that every single story arc, uh, every single smaller story arc in in the whole JLA run feels very different to the one that came before it but they are all great morrison handles them all superbly and without ever making the characters not feel like themselves as well it's clearly the same the same characters in every story and they never act out of character 
just to serve a story. It's they are the same. They're just thrown into all these very different situations, and and they deal with them as the Justice League would. And frankly, I mean, that's got to be the dream, hasn't it? Like that's got to be, you know, you're doing something right storytelling wise if you can just put the characters in a scenario and trust them to act true to their nature. Hmm. That's really all you can hope for. You know, Superman will always be Superman, regardless of whether he's Green Lantern or Superman. Well, unless you throw the Wildcats in, and then he will act a little bit out of character. But that's not in the main series, so it doesn't matter. No, it never happened, PJ. And the fact that Grifter's guns are in the trophy room, uh, they could be anyone's guns. I don't think we see them again, do we? So they've now phased out of reality, and that never happened. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know what we were talking about. Um, well, I've, I've got to say, PJ, that was a hell of a lot of fun. It really big, was. Big, big fan of that issue, and I'm very excited for the next one. Oh, me too. I, 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 again, I love some of the Green Arrow stuff in the next issue. Have we, in that case, wrung all the uh, amusement from the, 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 uh, the bar rag of reality? Uh, without getting into, and we say this a lot, but without getting into spoilers for the next issue, I believe, yes, we might have done that. Wonderful. Well, <laughs> I guess in which case uh, I should say uh, a thank you to uh, Gav Mitchell for our incredible uh, cover art. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our wonderful theme tune, Justice. And if you like hearing PJ and I ramble on, you can find us both on the social medias. There are links to our accounts in the description. Uh, PJ, is there anything you'd like to flag or shout about? Mm, I mean, I've got to get my washing in in a minute. Is that... Yeah, tell us more about your washing. Oh, it's, it's drying. Ooh. There we go. I've got you've got a, a you got a rotary washing line or a line or oh, it's a single uh, line two lines <gasps> wow and as if that wasn't enough i've got a curry in the slow cooker at the moment john oh pj oh you're talking my language that's i don't know what we're having for tea hmm that'll be my next that'll be my next big adventure visiting the fridge see we uh we give the people what they want <laughs> it's excitement on the page and off it um <laughs> Well, I guess um, thank you, PJ, for joining me on this uh, non-food-based adventure. You're welcome. Would, would you do us the honours and, and, and sign us off in your own inimitable fashion? No, you do it. No. The treasure of no. Oh, really? That's where you went? <laughs> <laughs>